Hello, welcome to the Autocar Podcast, my week in cars with Pryor here, Cropley over there. Hello, Stephen. Hello, mate. How's it going? Very well, thank you, Steve. I have not seen you since we recorded last week's pod. I have not spoken to you at all. No. Lots to talk about, which yeah. I'm quite interested in. And also a couple of uh, letters. You'll like this first one. I like this first one very much. Right. I'm doing things slightly on the fly, mate, because I'm, I'm, I'm not on my usual computer. So sorry for the slight delay. Uh, as I bring you a letter from New Zealand. Oh. Yeah. Nick Fisher writes to say, Dear Matt and Steve, I live in uh, the South Island of New Zealand and enjoy listening to the pod. With our power coming from renewable resources and home solar, very common EVs make sense here. But driving all but the local Kia and BYD is challenging and involves a six-hour drive to go and do them. So I thought you would like to hear that you have influence on the other side of the world. Wow. We do like to hear this, Nick, yes. Um, I've heard Steve often mention how he enjoyed the single-engine BMW i4 and decided to buy one, having never sat in one. Wow. It arrived. Uh, James May always said that the BMW 320 was all the car anyone needed, and I hoped the i4 would take its place. There was much trepidation as a car transporter arrived in an empty car park in our rural location and offloaded a dusty brand new i4 that had been shipped 12 hours from Auckland between the islands on a ferry. Having been a keen, uh, the, having been a keen car enthusiast all my life and read with enthusiasm every time engine advancements such as electronic ignition, turbochargers, etc. became mainstream, the electric powertrain feels like the next logical advancement in development. The car is perfect. Not only is it quiet, rattle-free and powerful, it passes the eyes-closed test for working most functions and of utmost importance to me, makes no annoying safety warning noises when driving. Wacko. Oh, well, that's so, good. I'm yeah, so glad. That's great, isn't it? But I think it is a good car. It is a good car. And yeah. by the way, the reason I got keen on it is because I read stuff that you blokes had read, you and uh, and the other Matthew had written. Oh, Matthew Saunders had written, yes. And, uh, and so I, I knew it was going to be okay, and it was. It's a good car. Yeah, turns out it's a great car. Well, thanks for the note, Nick. That's very, very kind of you. And I'm glad you like the car, mate. That's <laughs> the other thing. Steve, shall we talk your column? Yeah. Which uh, starts with... Well, last week was a slight disappointment with a Ford Cougar. Yeah, However, I was whinging about the ride, wasn't I? You were, it? yeah. However, this week, things have improved, have they? Well, yeah, I've been, <clears throat> I borrowed a Puma ST to, to you know, as a, as a, a kind of um, bit of redemption. And, of course, it turned out to be a good car. It's, it's, I still think of you and, you, you know, your first offering on the Puma ST. You drove around and said, yep, yep, it's a good car, but it, it, it only serves to remind me how excellent the Fiesta was. <laughs> yes. That is unfortunately. The, yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Because it's a it great is. little crossover and everything else. But every time I drive it, I think, oh, it's not a Fiesta ST, is it? No. no. But it. But the thing is, for the fuller figure, it's good. Mm-hmm. And also, it's for um, it, It's quite good at carrying stuff. Yeah. And in a way, because the roads, every time you <clears throat> turn a corner around here, there's another roadworks or another sort of... Um, thing to hold you up it's sort of getting to the point where you can't really deploy very rapid performance anymore Mm. I just like the the responses in that car you still need to press on a bit because otherwise the ride does strike you as a bit hard but at least it's well damped yeah and when you get stuck in it goes fine doesn't it it's 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 pretty good yeah I like them and they feel very agile don't they they've got that traditional Ford tuck yeah. On the way into a corner, if you sort of lift a bit, it feels like it's pivoting around the gear lever somehow, doesn't it? And it's it? got a very agile turn and feel. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to know it's still around. Yeah. And that sort of suppleness 
uh, that is sometimes you know that they can ride with a real control of the body yet also knock some of those bumps and lumps aside in a way that that cougar apparently doesn't no and it's some, just and control. Some don't. yeah yeah <clears throat> the um the thing other thing was good is that this uh, puma is a is a is a sort of mild hybrid mm-hmm. whatever you call the one with the in, with a integrated starter generator yeah. and and uh i was getting in eventually about 47 mpg which i thought was good because yeah, cool. i was you know trying to enjoy the performance when possible mm. so it was good enjoyed that it good, good car that is good thank god yeah it's not <laughs> all over no it's not small, all over compact good to drive ford which yeah, is yeah. good news um back at christmas you would have sworn our destiny was located at the end of a one-way road signposted battery electric cars as would i however what's changed since well two things have happened haven't they 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 Everybody went to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. where it doesn't seem to be about consumer electronics anymore, except cars. No, they just call it CES now, don't they? I think for yeah. that reason, they're just like, oh, crikey, don't call it Consumer Electronics. No, don't, don't. It's just CES. It's yeah, just CES. don't make it yeah. sound so like... A lot, of, a lot of car stuff is there, isn't Yeah, there really is. Yeah. And um, uh, Hyundai t- took the chose that place to launch a huge... Um, hydrogen society presentation and it was all about uh, creating green hydrogen moving green hydrogen storing green hydrogen there were quite claims made about how they were going to use this stuff for buses trucks and cars mm-hmm. and that and that this was relevant to everyone and it was the biggest statement by the koreans who have been loyal supporters of hydrogen for a long time mm-hmm. was the biggest statement of all and the size of the, they were just confident that it was coming, which surprised me really because they're <clears throat> quite leading proponents of EVs, aren't they? Oh, they are. Yeah. And then today or yesterday, I think it was, um, which will be last week by the time this is heard, Akio Toyota stood up and said that, in his opinion, only thirty percent of all cars would ever be EVs, and that the rest would be hydrogen or hybrid or something, mm. um, something else. And that seemed to me to be totally at odds with uh, the hydro- the uh, the the situation that's been basically forced on us here by the law, you know, by the the ZEV mandate and so on. And uh, so there's a lot of debate to go, and I think somebody there's going to be a collision downstream between the people who understand and, and know the potential of hydrogen and, and are in control of it, and the uh, and the people who just want EVs to be the, the solution and nothing but the solution, as yeah, it were. Yeah. Do you sometimes get the impression that people who want EVs to be, battery EVs to be nothing but the solution, think in very Western European high levels of infrastructure terms and don't think widely enough about yeah, the rest of the world? Very much so. And I think they also don't even think you know, Yorkshire Moors or Scotland or, or you know, places where range becomes important. It It is going to be... I mean, it seems to me that the, a lot of the pollution concerns are about point sources, aren't they, after all? You, you know, um, and when you get out into the... I, I mean, I know CO2 is, goes, is universal, but even so, the, a lot of the pollution measures aren't, aren't really appropriate in, in, you know, in the wilds of Australia where I came from. You know, who yeah. the hell cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
so I think that it just seems to me that the, that there are going to be numerous different requirements for numerous different regions, middle of Africa, mm. um, and you know it's 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 quite right to say that things are going to vary. What Accio went on to say was that the, in any case, the consumer should decide, and nothing should be forced on on um, only the targets should be forced on the industry. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because last week we talked about uh, Mike Hawes from the SMMT suggesting yep. there should be tax breaks to buy a BEV in yeah. the UK, making a compelling argument or a persuasive argument yeah. for it. But the counter-argument is, yeah, why why are you forcing people to buy things they don't want? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it'll change. it would change slowly. And, you know, in Mike's case, he probably wants the, the VAT to be halved in, you know, in a month's time, whereas... Mm. Um, I think we, you know we're talking about twenty seven, thirty two, yeah, that kind of territory. Yeah. But yes, it's um, there's such a lot to go and and on the one hand you've got Accio saying stuff like that, and you've got some extremely um, clever and and you know well researched people saying that it'll be completely different. There'll be twice yeah. as many EVs. You know, that's yeah. it's who's right? It's <laughs> who knows? And, and who knows? And, and, and I would not put money down on any of the above do you know what I mean I wouldn't put money on one way or the other because who knows yeah ultimately I don't I don't know because if somebody comes along with a solid state battery that sometimes that is you know that you can package however you want to is much lighter and much more efficient and charges much more quickly and degrades not at all when well maybe that changes fits the, in the game box. again yeah. yeah maybe that changes the game so who knows yeah, yeah. the only thing I do you know, know for, for sure is that the I the idea that we are in a sort of energy crisis gets gets my, it gets my goat a bit because so much energy lands in on the planet every single day. Mm-hmm. I think in an hour, enough solar energy hits the hits Earth to supply all of our all of humans' power for a year or something like Amazing. that. Amazing! So you just got to just got to use it, and yeah. then if Collect. you're using it and collecting it then actually the efficiency per se doesn't necessarily matter because it's totally renewable. The efficiency or relative inefficiency of hydrogen compared to batteries, which a lot of people will tell you is the problem. It's difficult to store. It's difficult to transport. It's, you know, it's, it takes so much more energy to, to get the infrastructure going and go get, get a tank of hydrogen into your car than it is to charge a battery with electricity. If the, energy is arriving effectively for free and at no co2 cost it doesn't matter what what matters is efficiency which is the reason we've all been driving petrol and diesel cars for the last century anyway yeah because it could have gone battery electric in the early 1900s but it didn't because petrol turned out to be more efficient well not more efficient sorry more effective more efficient for the user but not necessarily more efficient in terms of energy and it just just you know there's so much green energy in the world yeah. we're just not using it so yeah. the, the idea that there's some kind of battle and conflict and everything else there's so much energy we is enough to you know cook us all in everything we wanted yeah you know, mad let's collect it yeah. yeah just use it just got to get using it i think but anyway that's me oh i agree but uh yeah uh Ineos have got an idea haven't they they i mean they are great hydrogen producers as part of their chemical thing and a lot of it they release into the atmosphere at the moment because they don't have a use for it but they perceive 
their vehicles, they're going to make a battery electric vehicle, but they also perceive that their fuel cell hydrogen vehicles could work in places like Namibia because you could have a solar station generating green hydrogen, standalone, completely standalone station, requires no other... uh, network or infrastructure at all it would generate that would you know you could standalone station generate hydrogen stick it in a car yeah or a truck or whatever you use out there it just sounds right doesn't it it does doesn't it there's yeah, a certain rightness me. to that yeah uh but i guess around here mate we'll have a battery electric car and that'll be all right it will be for the time being but god knows we'll, well see me out i suppose <laughs> <laughs> not so much you mate well we'll see well we'll see <laughs> we'll see um let's briefly talk before we go to a break You've been, you've had a couple of reader emails, mate, saying, <laughs> yeah. come on, Stephen, oh, it's God. about time to well, I lay was, out some money. Or I, I got up. into a usual lather about this, uh, this, this Range Rover that you and I discussed last week. Mm. Um, 73 car, lived 45 years in South Africa, 45 of its 50 years in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Absolutely solid, rock solid, no rust at all whatsoever. On sale for 50k, 55k at Jaguar Land Rover Classic. Right, I got into a right lather about. It. You saw this car as well, didn't you? I saw it at Bista Heritage, and yes, last time I saw you, you were about to go and drive it. I did indeed go and drive it. Yeah, and it was, it was remarkably good. It was. I had one hmm. of that era, except mine had done a million miles and was rusty, and this car had much better steering, much better ride. Really excellent brakes, even a pretty decent gear change. I was surprised. I think you could drive, you know, if, <clears throat> if we had to, you know, you and I could get in it and drive to Edinburgh tonight. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the lights are like, but the rest of it, we'd probably pay a million pounds for the petrol. But apart yeah. from that, it was good. Yeah. So I got well lathered up about it. But I, I um, you know, in predictable style, still... Still haven't. Still a bit of domestic negotiation going on. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, discussion, shall we discussion. say. Discussion. Anyway, um, but I got some letters from people saying, look, could you just give over, mate? You know, could you could you just make a decision? One way or the other. Because <laughs> I have strayed fairly widely, it must be said. You it, know, well, yeah. It's Suzuki gone. X90s to Ford Raptors and everything in between. Yeah, to a 50-year-old Range Rover. But on the subject of well, let's 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 not talk about whether you're going to buy it or not. Then let's talk about old motors in particular, because a few months ago, but we're just putting the video together now. We headed to Wales and got a load of luxury cars together, included in which was a 1963 Rolls Royce Silver Cloud Three, wasn't it? Yep. And I've just been reviewing the vid. Uh, today because it's going to go up at some point in the next week or so this sort of luxury car group test the noise levels in the back that Matt Saunders had our road test noise meter and in most of the new cars he was getting a a reading between like 54 was the very quietest car which was a brand new Rolls Royce Phantom 54 decibels at 50 miles an hour and the loudest was something like 58 59 decibels um, which I think might have been in a Range Rover and the Silver Cloud had a sort of bad seal around one of the windows, but still, its noise level at 50 miles an hour was something like 64 decibels only. And I know it's a logarithmic scale, so that is quite a lot more than 54. 64 is a lot more than 54, but actually, it's not that much more than a bad super mini today. And yeah. av- you know, a really sort of average-ish for the class car. It's not that much louder, and no. it's 60 years old. 
I could have driven a long way in that car. Oh, it was a great. Really, it? it was really yeah. lovely, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. The visibility is beautiful. Smooth gear, smooth automatic gear shift. Lovely, lovely quality. Lovely quality. Beautiful lovely view over the bonnet, remember? Fantastic view over the bonnet. And because the pillars are small, <coughs> no head restraints, so the person in the back gets a great view out, yeah. like the person in the front as well. Just... The most God, vintage thing really seemed to stuff. me to be the... You know, the seats. Remember, you, you know, you went over a bump in the seat and this, rather than helping you absorb the 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 the, the movement, body movement, mm. it kind of amplified it a bit in the way old cars used to yeah. because they didn't, people didn't get to grips with seat harmonics till a bit later. Yeah, there's sort of a certain spring. There's probably yeah. real springs under there, aren't there? Yeah, you, have you, a, you have a little secondary settle after the car has settled. But, that's it. But, oh, yeah. I it, was, it was still that. brilliant, wasn't still it? Still fantastic. And, and you could see how something like that, which I think has been in, it belonged to our former uh, contributor, Piers Ward's family, didn't it? And you yeah. can see why you'd keep something like that in the family, use it yeah. a lot. You know? Imagine how it must have been when when everybody else went around, <coughs> around in a Hillman minx with, the, with all of the um, timing chain rattle and, you know, sort of... <laughs> sort of goings on from the front suspension and gear wine and mm. God knows what. It, it must have been a miracle. Must have been, yeah. Must have felt great. There were some of those, that that the differences between very good and very bad in those days were much greater, I think, than they, they are now. You know, yeah. I still, I always look at an E-Type 961 and think of all the junk that was around at the time. What that must have made people think, you know, must have just seemed like an utter miracle. Mm-hmm. That's cool, isn't it? There isn't yeah. quite that, you're right, there isn't quite that level of, there isn't quite that leap now, is there? No, you just because, don't you, get it. because you, you find yourself in a in a really good super mini now and it's it, it, it wins a lot of respect, I think, because, mm. you know, for, for, for even things like refinement and yeah. steering precision and so on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a few miles over the next few days in a Porsche 911 for a job. But knowing where I've got to go, I could just as happily be in that Ford Ranger Raptor that I've got at the moment but I would also be just as happy and actually in terms of parking it somewhere when I get there uh, in a Kia Picanto yeah you could just and any of those you do this sort of I don't know 400 miles whatever I've got to do by yeah. by Monday of next week and go yeah fine no worries you're incidentally you're um, your your espousing of the the wild Atlantic way you know with your you, you went over there in the Africa twin oh, yeah. and then the Kia hmm. That's it's spread now. I've got my son and I are going to do that on motorbikes in the in the spring. Super, because of you, mate. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and you're going to go to the yeah, we'll uh, go the to seaplane the museum. Seaplane museum. I want to know about that because uh-huh. I want to know if it's on if it should be on my list. Yeah, because I'll go. I will go back at some point this year. I yeah, don't, I don't know when yet, but I, yeah, I will do that. Anyway, Steve and I are going to take a short break, and we'll be back with a bit more my week in cars in just a moment. What car would you buy if you could buy any car? What car would you buy if you knew you could save thousands? What car would you buy if you could compare the latest offers from approved dealers? What car would you buy if you could do all of this in one place in just a few simple clicks? And where would you go to buy that car? What car? Car buying made easy. Visit whatcar.com to buy your next new car. Welcome back to My Week in Cars with Pryor and Cropley. Steve, we've got a letter from Kieran Hecht who says, uh, two points utterly unrelated. First, 
my frustrations of EV ownership. My Citroen EC4 is 15 months old and I've done 15,000 miles. With eco mode engaged when it was new, the range showed 225 miles with a full battery. And I would reasonably have expected 160 to 180, depending on the route and the time of the day. However, now the battery will only charge to 97%, and at that charge shows approximately 180 miles, at best giving me 130 to 140, recent cold snap notwithstanding. Fortunately, the car is leased and will return to sender in another 12 months, and I will probably get a new Renault 5, which would be cool. Um, But if I bought it outright... Uh, the rate of deterioration um, would be a concern. It's not good enough. What will it be like in another few years and what would that do to its residuals? According to some of the forums, other Stellantis EVs with the same drivetrain are uh, similarly afflicted. And there's an 8,000 mile service interval. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, I, My experience of some of those earlier Stellantis EVs, the range wasn't great. The range wasn't great. Did you run... Did you run one? No, no, not. Uh, don't think so. But the thing that I would want to do is get back to the date. To the is, is he has he run it right through the a year yet? Because I would want to go back to where where I came in, as it were, yes, just to see fifteen months. Yes, fifteen months old. Okay. He's done a thousand okay. miles a month in that time. Yeah, it doesn't sound yeah. good, does it? Because it doesn't does it? But it should be warranted to a decent extent I mean, it, yeah although know, they talk about 80 percent they only yeah, get they interested do, they? when these things fall to about 80 yeah. percent you do and 80 percent is a losing 20 percent a bit of a disaster when yeah. the thing will only do 220 anyway mm. i um no it doesn't sound brilliant i must say let's hope they improve and yeah but it, it's he seems to me to be um proving the the sense of 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 doing it on a pcp or a nearly yes. deal yeah exactly yeah yeah, because it will go back. Yes, too much. Another. It will be in another twelve months. It will be two and a bit years old. If I were going to invest proper cash money, the only ones I think I would buy at the moment would be the Koreans, just because of the length of the warranty. Hmm. Um, because it seems to me that well, the experts that we speak to away from the microphone, as it were, tell us that they they are very advanced. Their quality is very good, and of course they've got the warranty: seven years for Kia, five years for Hyundai. Hmm. I think that protects you. Secondly, says Kieran, I'm fortunate enough to have a mid-engined manual uh, six-cylinder car for high days and holidays that I intend to keep until I can't get out of it. However, it struck me recently that most learners will now take lessons in um, automatics or EVs uh, at some point, and what happens? to a generation that only have um, automatic driving licences. I think, and I might be making this up in my own head, but I think at some point I've heard somebody say, you will just take a driving test and that will probably be in an automatic, but you'll just get a licence. And then if you want to drive a manual, it's assumed that you'll work it out. You'll learn how to know what you're doing because actually only people who really want to will do it. A bit like a trailer test. They introduced the trailer test for a while, didn't they? And they've now they've now binned it off. Yeah. Because they've just gone, oh, you know, if you want to reverse a trailer, you'll probably sort it out. Yeah. You'll probably care enough to do Hit it the fence anyway. a few times and then you'll know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that would be my inkling on that, Kieran, is that, um, yeah, that if people want to drive manuals, you'll just... Because they don't do a separate test for 
Model T Ford Speedsters with the throttle in the middle, do they? <laughs> no, so no. It's just assumed, well, if you Probably want to drive should. a Model T, you'll figure it out. Won't you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's all right, too. Yeah. I mean, we know these days, you know, here we are standing in a storeroom, you know, 10 feet from a whole bunch of test cars, and I'll bet you out there they're all self shifters or electric. Oh, I would think so. Yeah. Oh, there, there is one Mazda MX-5 out there at the moment. But beyond that, I reckon, uh, yeah, I think pretty much everything would yeah. be self-shifting. And the man- Mazda MX-5 is so intuitive that you, you could hardly fail to drive it well, yeah, I think. exactly. But, yeah, it'd be interesting to be a bit more like the Americans where, you know, it's, it's unusual for people to drive stick yeah. or know how to drive stick. Yeah. But I suppose there will come a point where you don't. I'd be intrigued to know what the percentages of people learning in an automatic passing a test in an automatic yeah we probably should find out yeah it'd be interesting to know that somebody will know that won't they someone well one of the driving schools will know that presumably maybe somebody listening in will tell us yes they could if you know the story give us a give us a drop us a note will you yeah i'll be intrigued to yes intrigued to know and also if i'm making it up about the automatic license merging together the licensing thing merged together um let's talk about the Detroit Motor Show, which is going to come back, is it? Well, they, they're they moving it back to January. Mm-hmm. There was this ritual in the olden days when we used to come back from Christmas, or often even, you know, earliest days of January, January 2, January 4, you'd be on the the old white bird, head to, head to Detroit, and there'd be when um European cars, important European cars were launched in America with more razzmatazz than happens now. They would choose the Detroit show to do it because mm. it was down the street from GM and Ford and the rest of them. And I used to enjoy that. And, you know, I love the snow and I like the Yanks anyway. And Detroit is a fantastic place. It looks a little bit like Chicago shrunk. Mm. And uh, it was just a thoroughly good, good do. And it, obviously... You'd had your Christmas break, came back with a load of stories, met a lot of people. It was good. So um, if it comes back, it'd be great. But I don't know whether they would ever have, it would ever have the traction that it used to. It used to be a really important international show. It used to be the thing, didn't it? It was was one of, what, three or four big, big shows over the year. Certainly one of the, would it be the biggest? I suppose it would. No, Geneva. Well, I think um, it went Detroit, Geneva. And then, what, Paris, yeah. Tokyo, that sort of stuff, didn't yeah. it? And then the Chinese shows started mm. to Started to get traction. But now we end up with things like CES, which is also in January. Yeah. Um, later. A week later, isn't it? Oh, that's difficult then, isn't it? it just, yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean they, one of the beefs people used to have about the British Motor Show is it fell quite close to... Paris slash Frankfurt, didn't it? I think yeah. is that right? When it was in or in October, and it was like, well, there's already quite a big motor show out there. So if you want to do big debuts, where are you going to do them? Yeah, and yeah, that strikes me as poor. Yeah, mm. I think Detroit will turn back into a kind of regional show, which is all right because it's still Detroit is still, you know, the headquarters of a um, an industry that sells fifteen to seventeen million cars a year. Mm. In the US, and a lot of them, I mean, some of them are European and Japanese and the rest, but but a lot of them are made in America, so it's yeah. still important. Yeah. And um, People say about the Brussels Motor Show, don't they? They, the People, manufacturers like it, or importers like it, because people buy cars there. 
it's actually a decent place to sell car. It's not just a place to see new metal. It's yeah. a place where people can come and see a car that they're interested in and maybe buy it. Yeah, it is interesting the way they've all got a different profile, haven't they? Mm. I mean, they, they launched it from right. I think they launched the Land Rover in Brussels. Oh, really? 1948, yeah. Cool. Uh, for reasons not not obvious. But, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they've all got a different profile, haven't yeah. they? And what about Geneva? Well, Geneva's going ahead. Yeah. Um, we are. We know that Renault will be there, hot and strong, and they'll launch the five, the production version of the five. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there've been lots of ads already, but the production version will be will be there. And there's a there was talk that we might even see the Alpine version of that car, the R two ninety, a bit beforehand. So I, I'm yeah. not quite sure how that'll play out. But anyway, the problem is that. Lots of people aren't going, you know, JLR aren't going, Ford I don't think are going, Stellantis certainly aren't, and mm -hmm. Stellantis are, what have they got, you know, eight or ten oh, marks a at lot least. Of, yes, a lot of brands on there. So it'll be Renault and the Chinese, which is all mm. right, I think, from probably from Renault's point of view, because they'll be the, you know, the sort of friendly face. Mm. And it will be, it will be a really big deal, the five anyway. Yeah. Are you going? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Good. that's the plan. Yeah. I oh. don't have a plan yet. I oh. feel so, I mean, it depends how many new models are arriving, I think, because we'll do a, a video if there are lots and we won't if there aren't. So I don't yeah, know if they, I'm going yet or not. I believe in the next few days there's a, there's a press conference about where they're going to reveal who's coming. Okay. And I think that'll, that'll um, tell us a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, 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 you need it's to just at the end. Bit, it's you? just at the end of February, isn't it? I think it's like the twenty seventh. Yeah, very. And end. then it yep. opens to the public the twenty eighth or something. So yeah, and straight yeah. after that, I'm going to come back, get on my motorbike, and go around the wild Atlantic Way. <laughs> Fantastic. Are you going that early in the year? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, are you go. That could be well. Uh, could be chilly. Could it still? First or week of right? March. First. Yeah, oh, it might, might be. be right. Might be. But well, if you've got, if you've got heated, short hops, pub. You've got heated clobber. Uh, oh, um, no. <laughs> heated grips. Yeah. Got pretty good, um, pretty good uh, um, um, long johns. Pretty mm -hmm. good. Also, I'll be on a Honda seven fifty with that, which, which has got quite good weather protection. So, okay. I'll be all right. Good. I I will barely have started riding at this at that point. I think yeah. for the year, and I just I should ride more in winter. I was speaking to one of our colleagues earlier, Alan Muir from Watcar, and he's he's riding to and from the office most of the time when he comes all through winter and he said yeah. it was only a little bit chilly last week when it was chilly last week wasn't yeah, it? It, was, it was properly yeah. like minus five but uh and he said um oh prior you tell me because you you have some heated motorcycle gear and i said well i've got this like heated body warmer thing but i don't ride really in the winter i sort of stop in october until about march and he was crestfallen he's disappointed in me uh -huh. He was genuinely disappointed in me. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I need to, I need to yeah. pull my socks up a bit and do it. Well, I tell you what, around here at the moment, there's so many damn roadworks that you you need yeah. a motorbike. Yeah, it would I make a difference. Half an hour of time I'd rather have back mm. messing about with, yeah. with all that. My thing is that if I spent a lot of money on heated motorcycle kit so I could ride all year, one of the things I like doing is riding to the airport because you can park next to the terminal for nothing. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about... Yeah traffic at eight o'clock oh, in the morning really it's going, you know how long it's going to take you to get to the airport so that's yeah. that's you know that's what i like but 
I feel pretty confident about leaving my motorbike at the airport without it getting nicked because I think it would be pretty ballsy for somebody to turn up in a van and take stuff mm. out of there. But I wouldn't feel quite so good about leaving several hundred pounds worth of heated kit on my bike. No. And I wouldn't take it with... I'm a bit of a hand baggage sort of bloke. I wouldn't take it with me. Oh. So I don't know how I feel about that. No, I think you just got to get cold. Yeah, I think that's the way. <laughs> oh, it's quite a long way from my because I'm not sure I'd. Get, oh yeah, I'm not sure I'd get. I'm not sure I'd get warm over a, a bun in the airport terminal. I'm not sure I'd be warm by the time I got home again. No, but good point. Anyway, um, was I going to talk to you more about motor shows? Yeah, there was only to say, I think there will be some people within some manufacturers who are pleased that their manufacturer is not at Geneva because they spent decades being fairly well stiffed on hotel room costs oh, and indeed. show costs and everything else. And when it was cancelled the first time, I yes, it, unofficially off the record, a couple of them going, yeah, pretty pleased about that. Yeah. That's, you know, we've been absolutely taken to the cleaners by these hotels that you have to book five rooms, yeah. five nights or whatever, and, and they're at X hundred thousand pounds yeah yeah you know, over the thing shocking really so you know if it doesn't work for them tough yeah good so but so i can see why they're reluctant to come back yeah some of them. yeah and I, also yeah. i think they've discovered the joy of being in control of their own mm. um, their own use release it, you know with the the thing that happens in a motor show is that you you scuttle from one to the next don't you and you don't i don't know i mean you may have a clearer head than me but uh, but I never feel I do justice to any of them. No. And uh, so, in a way, um, I prefer this business of, of people designing their own reveals. Mm. I mean, in terms of, I uh, know oh, this is a bit, you know, what we do centric rather than yeah. customer centric. I don't know how many potential customers go and buy stuff at the Geneva Motor Show as a pub. It's an interesting show for the public, isn't it? Because it's quite compact. Yeah. Um, most of the big stuff was there. So if you are a public show goer, then it was the it, it was the nicest one. Yeah, we to. used to we used to we did have correspondence, didn't we, from people who would get the <clears throat> the early flight over mm. because the the Pal Expo the the uh, the exhibition centre is what it would be three quarter half an hour's walk from the yeah. from the from Tops. the air terminal and, and you can just walk in, mm. wander around till you jack of it and then go home. Yeah. And I think for a day out, it's pretty good. Mm. But it may not be quite the day out this year because no, it might not be mine. The, the cars on offer may not. Well, well, it won't be a comprehensive selection for sure. What about the high end? Do you know much about the high end stuff? You know, the, the supercars, the rare stuff, the the kind of stuff that actually always did very well at Geneva. The kind of weird, we're going to sell five of these at. I think you can expect pounds. some of those, but the ones that that are aligned with a with a group. Mm won't be there no and and that tends to be the most the biggest selling and the most reputable and the most credible yeah those yeah yeah Yeah. so i think i think that the the, to use a excellent cliche the jury is out (laughs) well we will find out in well by early march we will know we will one way or the other finally mate tell me about um palmer sports jonathan palmer and Ginetta's lawrence tomlinson who have joint forces to launch a new thing i'm impressed with these two blokes they're 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 both 
very well off. They've been extremely successful in business, mm. have other businesses, but they love motorsport. And it seems to me that they are always doing things that are to the benefit of cars and motorsport. And they could be, I mean, Jonathan Palmer owns a lot of property. He could be developing it and putting 200 houses yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Lawrence Tomlinson has, you know, medical supply businesses and all sorts of things. But the, but their concentration seems to be on improving British motorsport. Mm. And this plan is to get hold of a maximum of 64 people who pay 1,500 quid. They go to Palmer Sport and they do what amounts to a Palmer Sport day. So one of those days where you, you know, it's a it's just kind of never-ending cloud of tyre smoke where you drive about six different cars at absolute, you know, and you're encouraged to drive them absolutely flat. Um, you're assessed by two really excellent instructors, two of the best instructors, it says. Um, and you get your chance to be the one person who will be sponsored right through a Ginetta GT race series, 21 races, I think, and, you know, all the testing you need and so on. All you got to do is pay for your accommodation and, in effect, your you know your sustenance. Mm. Um, and I just admire the the fact that they're always thinking of ways to 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 boost it, and they don't have to do that. And, and you know, lots of people have got bones to pick with a pair of them. But the fact <laughs> is, they they're admirable people. I think, yeah. and the the world needs them. Mm. Yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. Genesis, great. I think as a as a company, I yeah. I really enjoyed enjoy what they do in a way that they get young people into I mean motorsport is expensive at every level yep. but you know they are giving a more affordable than most way to go racing yeah and they love oh, talent don't they they yeah. you know somebody does well hmm. Lawrence Tomlinson is full of admiration he's he's you know he loves driving fast himself but he he sees his job as being to bring people through and you know, I'm sure it's good for business, but there, there are possibly other ways of, of, of turning a quid than that. And oh, there must be more easy ways of turning a quid than anything in motorsport, mustn't there? It's not, it's not an easy business to be no. in, is it? You would, no. it's not, it's not the profitable arm. You wouldn't think of all of the LNT industries. You yeah, wouldn't think indeed. it's the most profitable. because yeah. it's, uh, it owns Blighton Park now, doesn't it? Is that yeah. right, Janetta? I think that's good. Yeah, uh, we did chat to him at some length when. They made the G60, redeveloped the G60, which had previously been oh, the Marcos. Was it sold as a Marcos? It was. I'm not sure it was sold as a Marcos, but it was a. It's a mid-engine V6. That was right. Thing yeah. Of yeah. Um, Chris Marsh and somebody else had designed together and I oh somebody's going to write to me somebody's going to be screaming at their yep. radio now going come on you idiot well I of course made I'm no better I, had a, I did but some miles anyway, with Lawrence in one of these then that Lawrence took on the project called it the G60 and I spoke to him I think it might have been at the Gooder Festival of Speed once and about it and he said, "Oh yeah, people think we're people think I'm just somebody who flies around in a helicopter and makes those noise but I, you know we're really serious about this this sort of thing but we've had to redevelop it from the... I said, what's different? He said, everything back from the number plate. Yeah. I said, well, would it have been easier to just design a new car? He said, it probably would have been, but we wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But we wouldn't have done, yeah, we wouldn't have done it that way. And credit to him, mate, for for, for, going, for going at it. I think. Also, I, like, I just like the fact that he doesn't waste time talking to people that 
don't matter in this. He's, he, they're very self-contained, Janetta, aren't they? Mm. They they know their market. He's he's brilliant at understanding his market, I think. Yeah, I think so. And the same goes for JP, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good luck to them. More yeah. power to their elbow. We need more people like Yeah, that. and I'm intrigued to see uh, what comes out of that as well. Who's okay. quick? Who's quick? Apparently, the, the, what happens is that the 64 get assessed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it comes down to two, the two best, right. go to one of um, the, the um, Palmer Sports circuits and do a shootout. And they drive lots of different, or several different cars. Oh, interesting. So you really, the whoever comes through is going to be handy. Yeah. And do you what? Do you know um, how much detail do you know about the process of getting sixty four down to two? Only that they will all be, they'll all do what a, what amounts to a a Palmer Sport day or a couple of them. You know how you go along there, and my son went for one. You 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 drive at least eight different cars you know that little thing that looks like a Le Mans racer and, yeah. and the you know various mad cars including a Janetta there are various Janettas on the um, oh on the fleet the on, the, on the Palmer Sport fleet oh, that's cool and carts and all kinds of stuff mm. <clears throat> and and you just get watched and as you know when, you know when we're watching somebody do journalism you know it, it's pretty it's pretty clear soon who, who can do it mm. and um, I think they've got experienced eyes Watching, yeah, and and, but they will also coach people. Ah, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, the the idea is not just to say off you go and stand mm. back. It's uh, it's they want to give everybody a proper chance, yeah. and that another way I admire them. They're both they're both people who love talent. I mm. you know I really um, admire that. Did you ever report much on the uh, Gran Turismo, Sony PlayStation? What did they call it? The sort of gamer to racer challenge thing. Oh yeah, Jan Mardenbra was one of the first winners. Lucas Ordonetz was one of was I think the first winner, uh, and he eventually won his class in at Le Mans. You know, because they were, um, and it was Darren Cox. That's it. Put the, yeah. the GT Academy. It was called Nismo GT Academy. Nissan put some money in. Sony put some money in. But did you ever report on the see the process? In no, action? I just all I ever did was r- read the stories. It was it was good. I reported on it a couple. Did you of, ever go? Uh, I didn't have a did I have a go I did some of the stuff that they do but mostly I just reported on what they were up to and it was anything from um, sort of fitness levels and they were like well, look, well this isn't a fitness test but the fact is we've got these people they've won some races online they're all coming in and they know that they've won races online and now they're going to do some real stuff we're not picking the fittest but it stands to reason that they know they're coming here yeah. it wouldn't be beyond them to do a couple of push-ups first, you know. Yeah. And then there was sort of uh, some of the sort of auto test stuff, whether you do the drifting and some of the later stages, they would take three or four professional race drivers and send them around a circuit at a particular pace, start their hopeful at the back and see how far they would get up the field in, say, four or five minutes. And these races would all drive effectively to the same standard, the same wow. level, the same thing. And you could see who was... You know who was good, who was not, who had a, a bit of racecraft, because I think that's one of the things that was harder to teach. Because you can, you know, some of these drivers could be very quick for real out yeah. of the box, but what they don't have because they hadn't been karting since they were eight is the actual racecraft about getting past people and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But Darren always believed, still does, that there are a lot of people out there who could be very quick at driving cars, but who don't have the opportunity because they don't have the money. 
but they might be doing it virtually and be getting many, many hours of good practice at driving because the physics models and simulators are so good yeah. that you can find people who are really quick and yeah. train them and coach them in a way that a lot of race teams do not train youngsters. Is he still active in all this, Darren? He's moved on to some other, he's moved on to some other stuff, but he did, I don't know if he's still, he did have a virtual race team at relatively recently but i don't know if he still runs that or not but yeah he was running stuff for mercedes amg formula one had a, a virtual team as well and uh he was he was yeah involved he's still involved in that field i think but a really smart and my really ideas. smart bloke he's into all yeah. he's into a, a few different a few different things and i just love well i had no idea that that the two things could read across quite as clearly as they did yeah. with the likes of martinborough mm. So very interesting. Yeah. yeah, really interesting. But of course, nowadays the old uh, F1 teams spend half their life on the simulator, don't they? They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Actually, there's a good story in the mag this week about road car simulators from Richard Lane. And actually, in my column, we haven't got much time to talk about. But yeah, I wonder if that Ford Cougar you tried last week, if there had been more simulator use when that car was developed eight, nine years ago whether actually that car would be a bit better. Yeah. Because it ended up with anything from a lightweight petrol engine car weighing 1,500 kilos through to a plug-in hybrid weighing basically 1,900. And, you know, actually if you'd spent more time Funny on the Funny distribution, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, if you spent more time in the simulator <coughs> in its early days, yeah. maybe that would have done it a favour. And then the, I think the other thing that came through, not, not from official channels, was that the tire and wheel selection on the car that we were in wasn't was was done more for marketing and you know nice brochure picks reasons mm -hmm. than uh, than good behaviour. Yeah. So lots of things get in the way, but the, yeah. the, that car finished up feeling as though it was on some other suspension that had you know been picked up along the way. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway, there we go. Uh, that's all for me and Steve this week. Thank you, mate. I'll see you in a week's time. Yes, sir. Yeah.